welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. And featuring special guest noises that you might hear in the background of my parents' dog, Brooklyn, Four. where we are dog-sitting for the week. So. Uh, but today we'll be discussing Season 7, Episode 9, which is titled The Greatest of Gifts. The episode aired on December 14th in the year 2000. Lauren was going that week 22 years ago. After a highly controversial showdown over vote recounts in Florida, the U.S. Supreme Court, in a 5-4 decision, ruled that the recounts must be stopped, thus handing George W. Bush the election victory. Two things of note. One, all five justices voting in favor of halting the recounts were conservatives, and the ruling elected a Republican president. Makes you think. And two... Bush became the first U.S. president since Grover Cleveland in 1888 to lose the popular vote, but win the election. Abolish the Electoral College. Became Vertical the first, but unfortunately not the last. Yeah, yeah. we don't. We're not talking about it. Uh, <laughs> Vertical Limit, the survival thriller movie starring Chris O'Donnell, Bill Paxton, R.I.P., and Robin Tunney, debuts, but can't quite beat out How the Grinch Stole Christmas for the box office crown. And Independent Women by Destiny's Child is still the number one song. Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Holiday Armadillo at 8.30. What the hell? I don't know. It only gets stupider from here. Uh, At 8.30, Cursed with the episode And Then Larry Brought Charlton Heston Home. I am so ready to be done with that show. Uh, (laughs) At 9 p.m., Will and Grace with the episode Three's a Crowd, Six is a Freak Show. And at eight at nine thirty, just shoot me with the episode Dog Day Afternoon. I really hope that that is just a shot for shot remake of the movie Dog Day Afternoon, but with David Spade. <laughs> <laughs> who's but who's gonna play the transgender girlfriend of the guy who robs the bank? Oh. Well, hopefully, an actual transgender person, and that not nice. uh, not just somebody. Not also David Spade. Yeah. Uh, but hold it. But let's let's wait. Wait till next week and when we can finally have the cursed episode and then Daniel was put out of his misery. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is also our last episode of the year 2000 uh, because yep. next week will be in January of 2001. So, uh, And uh, this week's episode had 29.8 million viewers tuning in, directed by Jonathan Kaplan, doing his 16th out of 40. Uh, previous ones from of his from this season included The Visit and Homecoming. And written by first-time writer Elizabeth Hunter during her first of four episodes. Uh, other stuff or other series that she has either written for or produced for include The L Word, Charmed, and Empire. Uh, and on a technical note, no Luca this week. Hmm. All right, folks. <laughs> we'll, we're going to let you be the judge. Give this a few listens. It's only seven seconds. Give just We're going to play it and then play it back a couple times. This we'll is a whole who, thing. This is yeah. a whole thing. Yeah, who the previously on is brought to us by. Previously on ER. 10,000% Malucci. If, okay, hold on, Daniel. Before you mm-hmm. get to your point. Yep. If, if, if Daniel isn't about to say what he's about to say, I would 100% agree with you, Lizzie. I, I am hearing what you are hearing. I want you to know that. We had to listen yeah. a few times l- when we watched it, but I agree with you knowing what our ears are telling us, okay? Yeah. And now, I Daniel, would, gaslight and, us. Well, no, and now I would just say, too, like, let's let's go through the, the, the list of suspects, because it's a male cast member, 
So okay. let's go through the list of suspects who are on the show at the time. We've got Anthony Edwards. We've got Noah Wiley. We've got Paul McCrane. We've got um, Eric uh, Palladino. Eric Palladino. Eric LaSalle. Uh, Goran Vishnik. That's it, right? Six, six yeah. guys yeah. for the most part yeah. at this point. Yeah. And the only one, I mean, it's not Eric LaSalle, for sure. Nope. It's not Goran, for sure. Nope. It's definitely not um, Noah Wiley. I could see maybe an argument being made by somebody trying to listen really, really hard that maybe it might be Anthony Edwards, but it's still not. And so, again, out of that whole group, the only one who makes even the, the tiniest lick of sense is Malucci. And I, I was all on board to to jump on the Malucci train with Lizzie uh, when we first started talking about it. Because the first time I heard it, I was like, what the fuck? Who is that? Like, whose yeah. voice is that? And then we talked about it, and Lizzie was like, you're being stupid. It's Malucci. And I was like, no. Like, maybe. But let me listen again. I listened again. And the more I listened, the less convinced I became. Like, this is not Malucci. is not. And so, one of the dumbest fucking aspects of this entire project that we've been <laughs> that we've done is that I have access to Eric Palladino <laughs> like <laughs> I can just DM him whenever I want and he can't stop me so <laughs> I clipped out this seven second clip of the little previously on thing and said this was at like 10 o'clock at night by the way too granted I know there's a time change involved but just like I shouldn't be allowed to do this and sent him this clip and was like hey weird question uh is this your voice in this clip and to my surprise not only did he read it he actually replied <laughs> and was like I had to listen to it four times, and no, it is not. <laughs> he is like not my voice. He's like I could. He's like I could maybe talk myself into it being my voice, but it's not my voice. So that's the first part of it. And then I went even further down the rabbit Jesus. hole because it's me, and uh, I reached out to our friend Carly Blake, who the who was a production assistant on the show, and I was just like, hey, who? I was like, I know this was before your time, like working on the show. I was like, but whose job was it to put these little reels together at the beginning of each episode? Like, whose job was that? And she said that it was uh, the job of the assistant editor. And so it's usually like one or two different people who did it over the course of the series. And like, she said that the previously on ER um, clips, like the previous, the, the different actors saying that, she's like, they usually would record those during ADR. Which, if you don't know, ADR is when they uh, fuck up a line or they, 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 the mics don't pick up a line properly during regular filming. They will sometimes have the actors come in after the show has been shot and re-record lines of dialogue so that they can then try to match it up to their lips in the show itself. So when they would have actors come in to do their ADR lines, they would also have them record these little previously on ER blurbs. And she listened to it multiple times and agreed oh with me and said, that's not Eric Palladino's voice. She's like, I don't know whose voice that is. She was like, which is really strange because she's like, they never used, to her knowledge anyway, they never used a non-main cast member for the previously on ER thing. So she's like, this is a really weird one. <laughs> and she did give me some names of people uh, whose job it was to do these things. I have done more googling than anyone ever should about this particular subject um haven't heard back from anybody yet but like stay fucking tuned because i i intend to like follow this thing to the core of the earth like I... i'm determined to find out who it was that did this uh previously on ER because it is not a main cast member it is not dave malucci it is not eric palladino it is no one we have ever heard from before and likely will ever hear from again because it seems like this was a completely out of the ordinary type thing 
I loved your unsolved mysteries uh, Photoshop. I'm gonna. If you're fooling yourself if you think that the uh, unsolved mysteries theme is not playing over this entire segment while we're having this conversation. When I get to the final <laughs> edit, because that's a hundred percent what this is. Like we have our, we have one of our first full-fledged ER unsolved mysteries. Uh, I just like this sent me down such a rabbit. You know, I love a good rabbit hole. And this was maybe one of the deepest I've ever gone down. So, but I am firmly a hundred, a lot of people in the, we talked about it in the discord, even like leading up to recording this episode. A lot of people were uh, with you, Lizzie. They were on team Malucci. I'm not convinced it's not Malucci. The man himself says it's not him. So I, you know, to be continued. All right, Lizzie, take us into the episode proper. Jesus. Anyway, so our previous song was brought to us by Malucci, and we're going to go into our, <laughs> we go into the episode. <laughs> Shut up. All right, it's our first major snowfall. Yay, Yay. wintertime in the city. Hooray. I hate it. I love um, it. Hel- Helen and Carrie are, are, my, are on my team complaining about all the snow. Uh, Carter's kept the board running overnight because of the because the temporary attending that they had was crappy. Because Mark has been gone, so the schedule's a mess. So they've been hiring hiring more Lucas, but not as good as Luca. Um, Carrie tells Carter he can come in an hour later than he's scheduled to for makeup for the hard work he just did. So, Cool. Good mama, Carrie. Uh, then we get a pretty instrumental of the first Noel as Carter goes home and passes out. Or not, because right as he falls into bed, he gets paged. And boy, howdy, isn't that a mood for me today. Um... Your girl's sleep deprived today, fam. I am very sorry. I am not chief of the nap nap squad today, and it is showing everybody. It's all Brooklyn's fault. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm, okay, we'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> Brooklyn is a factor. Um, but oh no, even worse, Chen is in labor, and Coburn is actually there to do her job. Hey. 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 Uh, I want to note Chen has the cutest little nightgown on. Just adorable. She's she's absolutely suffering, but she's looking cute doing it. Uh, Carter shows up because Chen didn't have anyone else to call to support her through the birth. And I want to note, I don't know if I've said this before, but I'm noting it here. Carter is so weirdly good when he's put in scenes with women in labor. Like, every time we see him helping someone through labor, my heart melts and he's doing the Lamaze breathing with her. And I really think maybe if if, um, ER was made today, Carter would have ended up in OB. Hmm. I'm just saying, like... I can see if, it. If they were taking the, quote, Gray's route, where we see more departments than just the one regularly, I would see him potentially being Obi. Mm-hmm. Because it just, yes, it works. Uh, but then we are in with bangs. And we come back out of the intro with uh, Cleo and Benson waking up to some noises downstairs. And uh, Cleo is a little bit concerned because uh, Kanisha is staying with them and seems like there's some commotion going on down there. And Benton, Benton clearly just wanting to stay asleep again, Lauren's mood uh, <laughs> is like, no, she's just watching TV. It's fine. And like, she's like, no, dude, go check on her. You brought her here. Like, and just the biggest of moods, Benton not wanting to get out of bed to go check on her. And uh, we get downstairs and find her and a friend picking up uh, the pieces of a broken picture frame and complaining about how uptight Cleo is. Uh, We meet her friend Tiny, uh, who uh, got locked out of her house, and so she's just waiting uh, until, I guess, her mom gets home or something is the the reasoning. Um, But Benton's going to drive her home, and he wants Kanisha to clean up the mess. So, more developments to come on that. 
still hate it. Uh, what I hate even more is Mark's brain tumor. Um, so let's go to our first audio clip of the episode. Well, technically our second, but uh, uh, <laughs> our first proper one, not featuring Malucci. Uh, Mark and Corday are in New York uh, getting ready to see a neurologist. Neurosurgeon? I don't know. Specialist. Okay. There, you have your coffee. Now let's go. Mark, I don't want to keep this man waiting. He's jammed us into his schedule. What is it? The kid with the red hat. What about him? So another kid wearing that exact hat three weeks ago. I was buying groceries for Thanksgiving dinner. Now I'm in New York waiting for a miracle. Maybe it's a sign. Either that or the Grim Reaper wears a red hat. I didn't come with you to hear talk like that. I thought that was healthy. Well, it's not. I should just stick with denial. I'd prefer guarded optimism until Dr. Burke maps the brain and gives us his opinion. And then I can hear bad news twice. If you really believe that, you'd have called Rachel by now. Just call her up and tell her over the phone? No, you could have flown out there for a day, but you didn't. Why? I have a feeling you're going to tell me. Yes, because deep down you really do believe that this technology and this surgeon can help you. And you don't want to tell her until you know you'll be all right. Yeah, or I'm desperate. You've seen enough patients in your time overcome illnesses they shouldn't have to understand the importance of a positive outlook. Now, you have to believe it's possible. I think I'm a little nervous. Oh, me too. See, since they're in New York City, I'm just assuming there's just a giant rat carrying a giant slice of pizza in the background somewhere that we just aren't seeing. Yep. Uh, but it's very good pizza that the cat is uh, that the uh, rat is carrying. So of course, because they're in New York. New York, give me a New York slice. Hands to Sabaro. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, yeah. No. This. Um, this whole episode, goddamn. Like they are so. They are so good this episode. Yeah, this is really the like Mark and Lizzie show. Although I will say though, the with honorable mention and maybe maybe first mention to uh, McNawen. Like this is mm-hmm. this is, I think maybe the McNawen episode first and foremost, and then like honorable mention second place to the Mark and Lizzie show because they are really bringing it this episode. Mm-hmm. I love the or the Grim Hat wears a, or the the Grim Hat the Grim Reaper wears a red hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, his his weird obsession with that hat this whole episode is interesting. I also, I think we've all been there when we're Lizzie saying, I I didn't come here to hear that kind of talk. Like, mm-hmm. you, you need that from your okay. significant other. So I'm Mark a lot in this situation. I wasn't about mental health. So. I wasn't trying to say it. I was saying the quiet part quiet, but <laughs> you just you just told it on yourself. Yeah, whatever. People know I'm a mess. Fair. Patreon.com slash <laughs> But yeah, this sets up their whole thing for this episode, and we move on from there. Yep. Also, the fact that he hasn't told Rachel yet. Yeah. Well, you know, like she's undergoing the change right now. So the the physical change, you know, she's becoming a different person. So. Oh yes, of course, the metamorphosis. Yes. Yeah. I thought you meant her be- her getting her period. I was like, that happened like two seasons ago. No. No, she's already been oh. through that change. This is a this is the her metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Yes. 
Uh, but then from there, we go back to Chen and Labor, and the adoptive parents have arrived to observe the birth, which she had agreed to when, you know, they set everything up. And she suddenly is uncomfortable with it, asks Carter to go talk to them. And I want to note the, um, the delivery nurse here is the nurse from, um, from Orange is the New Black, mm-hmm. the mom. And I can't think of her name, but we right. have seen her before. Yeah, I can't remember if I mentioned it when she, because she showed you, up in this. You did. I mean, I, I know, yeah, I know we did mention that she was the lady from Orange is the New Black. What I didn't realize was that she was going to make more than one appearance, because yep. I think I looked, and I think she makes a total of four appearances. So she's going to show up two more times, I think. I was very proud I caught it. Um but Carter tries to tell the parents that she's not comfortable to have them in there because she needs to focus and she's just a little self-conscious. And we find out that the parents flew all night from Portland. So they're they're understandably a little testy and want to see their baby be born. Mm. And our parents here are, are adoptive parents, uh, James and Linda. James is played by actor James Adway, who appeared in stuff like Into the Blue, First Daughter, and Bad As I Want to Be, the Dennis Rodman story where he played the titular Dennis Rodman. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, that is a real bad TV movie, let me tell you. <laughs> that movie was on the like free movie channels a lot when I was in like middle high school. And, uh, oh boy, that movie is bad. Because it also doesn't have, I think, any of the uh, NBA licensing uh, with it, so they're just wearing Ooh. they're just wearing plain colored jerseys <laughs> and like uh. <laughs> it's, it's just really not good. Uh, but he's all right in it, I think. I don't remember. Uh, anyway, uh, Linda here is played by actress Jacqueline Kim, who appeared in stuff like Star Trek Generations, Volcano, and Advantageous. Uh, and I th- really thought that this lady appeared in a lot more things, but it turns out she just only exclusively appeared in things that I saw. Because if you look at her IMDb, she has like 20 credits to her name and like 18 of them are things that I watched constantly. So, <laughs> yeah, I would think she was in a ton, but it's just because we've watched Volcano a bunch in this household. Yeah. So that's what it was. Volcano, she's in, um, I think, Star Trek Generations. I think she that's the one that has... William Shatner and uh, Picard in it together. Um, mm. And I think she plays a descendant of uh, Sulu, uh, George Takai's mm. character. Cool. And then um, she was also had a brief appearance in another one of the movies I watched a ton. Again, this woman's career is my childhood movie watching. Uh, she had also had a minor role in Mighty Ducks as well. Ah, uh, catching those Disney checks. Right? Hey. That's why she doesn't. She only, she only has yeah, she to her name. Doesn't need to work anymore. She's good. She's just living off of those residuals. Uh, well, uh, we go from there. Randy is asking Carrie if they should send flowers for Chen, and uh, Carrie bites her head off and tells her to drop it. Carrie, uh, we should point out, is having a real one today. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Carrie is having a real normal one today. Uh, we see Kim shows up for a consult, and uh, Carrie got her a Christmas present and has been trying to get a hold of her, but Kim's machine is busted. Uh, and uh, is it now? Yeah, is it? Is it though? Uh, and then we get uh, the bit for the episode, which leads me to believe that season seven is targeting Lauren specifically. Uh, in <laughs> that being that Carrie has the worst, most relentless case of the hiccups this entire episode. Carter's not sleeping. Carrie's got the hiccups. Mark's having seizures. Yep, this one's just a big fuck you to me. Oh, I think it's the whole season. I mean, we got yeah. Sally no, Field. I'm... We got, you know, the, <laughs> every yep. th- this whole season has just been one giant middle finger to Lauren, pretty much. It's uh, fine. It's fine. I'm a go. professional. Uh, but we go from there. We see Cleo complaining about Kanisha being there for an entire week after Benton said it would only be one night. 
uh, but Benton counters that mom's been on a drug spree and they need to get her in foster care. Uh, he sees a little girl run from the stairwell through a door and watches her for a moment before a woman yells for help and distracts him. So we'll circle back to that in just a little bit. Yeah. And the woman yelling for help, uh, her dog, her, the woman yelling for help, her son was attacked by a dog. Uh, son's name is Jeff. And who plays Jeff? Jeff is played by actor Miles Jeffrey, who appeared in stuff like Early Edition, uh, the Disney Channel original movie, Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire, and one of the most batshit insane movies of not just the 1990s, but maybe all time, uh, Face Off, which I believe he was the little boy who was kidnapped in, like, he's the he's the thing that Nicolas Cage and John Travolta are fighting over. But the laceration was through the cheek. Ah. Ow. Does it ever weird anyone else out just to think of like how like thin like the tissue is like between like with your cheeks? Yeah. Well, now I it try does. Not to think about it. Yeah. Thanks, Lizzie. Like, just, just, I don't know. Uh, I don't, so that's why it always horrifies me when I see like cheek trauma. But that's what that's what this is. I don't know, but it I just, it's not something you think of that often. It's yeah. cheek trauma. Yeah. Well, no nope. dog. Nope. Rips. Yep. Half. Yep. We're gonna okay. we're gonna stop anyway. <laughs> Uh, but Carrie still has the hiccups, and we we have, we want to know how do you act hiccups? Because she does it very convincingly. Yeah, yeah, she really does. And Abby's in the trauma with Carrie and Benton, and we'll circle back to them later. Yep. And then we go back to the Chen and Carter show. They are in delivery, and yay, she can stop pushing. And I want to note again, Carter is so good holding her hand and soothing her. Um, and we get a great shot of Chen's face after her son is born and she hears him crying. Like, just after the emotional wave of having gone through this birth is done and she realizes what's happened, like, and the implications of him actually being born. It's just such a such a good shot by the cinematography team and such a good shot for Ming-Na Wen's acting. Like, she... She just kicked so much ass this episode with her, even just, like, facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Not even talking about line deliveries and everything. Just she carries so much emotion all episode. But she says she does not want to hold him. Mm. I mean, you can understand why. Yep. And then we see her being wheeled into recovery, and she thanks Carter for the support. And, you know, this is I, this is uh, another showcase, too, of the, the excellent uh, Carter and Chen friendship which again is one of those things that i feel like in my head and in in my head canon is much more significant than it really is if you really totaled up the amount of time on screen that they actually portray these people these two people as like really close friends it probably wouldn't amount to very much <laughs> like it's right i definitely definitely thought we had way more of the two of them leading up to this moment i did too than we did yeah i, I did too i was really expecting especially now that you know Obviously, with her being gone for several years, we knew there was going to be a, a break in between. But, like, I really thought that there was going to be more setup to this. And they're just really – I mean, her being in the intervention, I guess, sort of counts with that. But, like, it's just – it's one of those things that they, they seem to take for granted or seem to take as, like, you as the audience already know that these two are really good friends and we don't need to show you more. Which I guess I, under, I understand and I respect from a, uh, a respect-your-audience perspective. But I still think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more show and a little less tell of that. Like, show me why they're friends. Like, show me them interacting with each other and show me them, you know, confiding in each other. And, like, there's just not as much as I think you would think, you know, given given what we sort of think of in the headcanon of Carter and Chen. Great, yep. all-time great friendship. 
Yep. Um, but uh, she sees the adoptive parents holding the baby and asks Carter how they reacted when uh, he handed the baby off. And he's like, oh, they cried. It was great, you know. And uh, Chen tries to convince Carter to go crash in the on-call room so that he can get some sleep because she knows he has a shift that night. But he refuses to leave because he's a good friend, at least to her. Maybe not to everybody. But uh, but we then go from there back to uh, Mark and Lizzie who are in for Mark's uh, brain mapping scan and uh lizzie is a little cranky because dr burke uh the specialist isn't going to be uh meeting with them prior to the scan they're just stuck with the tech here uh who the tech is played by actor david Nerona, who appeared in stuff like tom clancy's jack ryan uh that would be uh jim halpert jack ryan if you're keeping score at home uh designated survivor which wasn't uh, anthony edwards on that show uh, yes too? lizzie watched it in season three it was really weird he- hearing anthony edwards say fuck <laughs> Well, maybe this guy got to hear Anthony Edwards say fuck in person. Who knows? Uh, he was also on One Tree Hill. Cool. Um, and then we have Carrie working with the with Jeff's mom and like talking to her about what's going on. And another woman comes in and like mom is yelling at this other woman, insisting that the dog be put down. And I didn't know. It was really unclear here if they were both mom, if like the way he talked to them i couldn't quite mm. tell if he was just calling one of them mom my or what the what my, or if it was like a neighbor lady yeah my, but, that, that was my read on it was that the this was the neighbor because there's a different little boy there too like there's a, a little boy who's not jeff who's like yeah. are they gonna kill my dog basically that's what i missed yeah that, Thank th- you, you must have looked away to take a note or something but there is another yeah. little boy there and who's I, very concerned that his dog's gonna die I had shitty child face blindness and totally thought that this was Jeff with them, which yeah. makes no sense when you realize his face is open. So, yep. Yeah. I had a note moment. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's neighbor lady and the dog who attacked Jeff is hers, presumably. And the, yeah. that uh, woman is named Mona. Uh, and her, she is played by actress Carrie Coleman, who appeared in stuff like Multiplicity, Jag, and the Amazing Spider-Man movies where she played what I can only assume based on her character's name was uh, Gwen Stacy's mom. Fair. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we go downstairs. Benton sees a little girl in the stairwell again. Uh, Taylor is her name. And who plays Taylor? Taylor is played by actress Dabe uh, da- da- uh, Chase. Uh, and she is our second, if you include Ming-Na Wen, she is our second of two Disney princesses in this movie. Uh, because hey. Or in this, in this episode, rather. Uh, because she appeared in stuff like The Ring, Donnie Darko, and was the voice of Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. Oh, is Lilo cool. really a Disney princess, though? I mean, if we're, go- I mean, anybody, can, you we know, can say, we can say Disney heroine. Disney heroine. Dis- I mean, you know, why, why is there a height requirement to be a Disney princess? Like, goddamn. Uh, no, but most of the Disney princesses are actually, you know, like princesses. <laughs> if uh, I'm hold, please. Like, what about the? Well, I guess she's technically a princess. But fuck. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Was she Samara in the ring? fuck if i know like <laughs> I, I figured since you looked at her goddamn history i don't know man i don't have my phone with me to do the thing i always do where i stop paying attention to look at people's filmographies so she was Such she was in oh, it i have to actually pay attention the whole time we record today god i know it's the but worst. what's going on with taylor uh she hurt her foot um benton goes into the little utility closet under the stairs to take a peek very gently mm-hmm. very non- very slowly, non-threateningly. Um, she's supposed to be up in the blood bank, but she's not sick. She's there to do a transfusion for her lo- sister, Nicole, who has leukemia. Mm. And 
It's like every time, and she says every time Nicole gets sick, I have to go to the hospital too. And Benton is Benton is very nice with her. Yep, he's learning from Cleo. <laughs> learning from Cleo, and it's just like, granted, I know it's a stark transition, but I I was reminded of that episode in early season one where he's forced to talk to Rachel. Yes. When he has to tell yeah. Rachel that the the patient died, and he's so robotic and so unfeeling, and it's just like, oh man, our boys come a long way. Like he really. Well, to be fair, I want to punch Rachel in the face with how oh. with her vocal mannerisms and that. She is a little, <laughs> little bit saccharine in that one. Uh, but yeah, no, and also little baby Reese has probably helped him learn how yes. to actually like interact with children. Absolutely. Uh, but please note, I would never actually hit a child. <laughs> important to note. Uh, we go from there. Carter is uh, getting paged in the on-call room, uh, and uh, we he runs in to check on Chen who is up and frazzled looking for her shoes, clearly looking for a quick exit and asks Carter for a ride home. And, uh, the, I believe this is the adoption lady that she spoke yeah. to a couple episodes ago who, you know, apologizes for offending her, uh, but really does strongly suggest that she actually see the baby, uh, that it's better for the adoptive parents. It's better for you. And you know, if you, you should hold your son and say goodbye. And uh, Chen is worried that if uh, she's afraid that if she holds him and, uh, you know, feels that kind of maternal attachment that she won't be able to say goodbye. And this fucking sucks. Yeah. But on the flip side, you want to talk about people who I want to punch in the face Uh. just based on their voice alone. (laughs) The fucking adoption lady. I don't know what it is about. I don't know what it is, but everyone else is fine. But the fucking adoption lady, for whatever reason, it just like nails on a chalkboard type yeah, she, I don't know. She, no, yeah, I, I, I sort of get what you're saying. She had a, a very distinctive sounding voice that sounded like something, but I couldn't put my finger on exactly what. There's some character in some movie that she sounds like, and I just can't quite put my finger on it. Just overall, her voice just kind of bugs the hell out of me. And as always, I had my head up my ass doing notes and did not notice a thing. Carry on. Indeed. Well, let's uh, go all the way to New York. Mark's getting his scan. He's describing verbs for different images and right in the middle of the scan uh, two other doctors come in to look at like what what's come up so far and they're talking about the prognosis and treatment right in front of they don't even know Corday's in the room yeah they don't even notice her no yeah don't even notice anyone else they're just like oh yeah well yeah give we'll we'll give him like a couple of, uh, we'll do so and such thing and he'll have 12 months oh no and the guy's like no i'll put him in my trial and We'll give him 14 months instead of 12 and she's like oh yeah what an extra two what a fun extra two months that is so it's like and lizzie's just sitting back there horrified mm-hmm. and they both insist that dr burke won't be interested uh horrified but also like i think uh and i'll lead the the in-depth analysis to uh the listener response who pointed it out but one of the listeners had a really good response to that exact moment uh where it was it, it, it was excellent uh, acting and excellently played by uh, Lizzie. Like it just, you can see kind of the internal conflict of, of that's horrific to hear, but also realizing that she's been on the other side of that equation as well. Like she's yeah. probably said some of those same things to other people about other people. Mm-hmm. Oh God. And then from there, Cleo and Benton are cleaning up Taylor's foot. When Lily comes in saying there's a call for Cleo about her car from Kanisha, but she was talking really fast, so she didn't get all the details. And Kanisha tells Cleo that the car is just gone, she didn't see anything. Cleo calls the cops to report it missing, and Romano at this point shows up to yell at Benton about finding Taylor and not giving her back to the blood bank, 
because as Benton says, she's scared right now and feeling a little used, to which Romano pisses back that, you know who else is scared? The daughter who's dying. Get her upstairs. So they have they have a very good moment here. Just just good back and forth. Two people can be scared. Yeah. Yep. Both of these things there can be, can be things. true. People people struggle to realize that multiple things can be true and upsetting at the same time. Oh boy, howdy. How much time you got? Uh, Not enough. <laughs> Carry on. But uh, we go from there uh, back to Carter up in the nursery uh, to talk to the parents, the adoptive parents. Uh, says that Chen has agreed to see the baby, but wants to make it clear that she really doesn't want to. Uh, and But their, their main concern is that they're worried that if she doesn't see him and doesn't properly say goodbye, that she'll back out uh, in the three-day window that she has to sign over the adoption papers. And uh, so Carter takes the baby from them with the parents to follow to bring it in. And we just get this really nice moment between uh, Carter and Chen. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. like if you want to actually, I think this moment here was the clip that I used for this episode because it is such a excellent showcase of not just the friendship, but also like Ming-Na Wen herself. Like she we (laughs) we don't deserve her and, and we forget about that sometimes because she's not a fully finished product at this point. Like at least in terms of Hollywood's recognition of her, I mean, I know she's been Mulan and everything at this point, like they know who she is, but it's just like they hadn't caught on to it to the extent that they have today where it's like, you can plug her into any role and she will kill it. So it's just, it's just a nice moment. Right. And let's go back to New York for our next audio clip here. Uh, Mark and Corday are waiting for answers after the scan. Hope it's like a jury. Longer they deliberate, the better chance I have of getting off. They could still be waiting for Burke. I'm starting to think that he doesn't exist. Maybe he only meets people that he can help. Mark. I know, I know. Positive, positive. Did an MRI texture thought I was a goner? He just runs the machine. He can't offer a prognosis. Come on, you know that those techs can read a scan better than most surgeons. No offense. Do you want to get something to eat? No, no, nope. No. <sighs> Can't believe they call it a tumor board. Why? They discuss tumors. Oh, man. I think they come up with something a little more esoteric. Like what? I don't know. You're completely boned, bored. I heard they used to call it the poor bastard board, but too many people were showing up. Someone told me that they tried the take me up back and shoot me now board for a while. Well, it didn't stick. No, surprisingly. Why not? Too many letters, I guess. Hmm, pity. Mm-hmm. You have the baby either way. What? That man comes out of that room and tells me he can't do anything. That there's uh, no way I can beat it. Will you still have the baby? Yes. 
So I want to note two things here. Mm-hmm. Three things. One, the framing for this whole shot is marvelous. Mm-hmm. Two, I love the alternate tumor board names. <laughs> and three, I just noticed uh, linguistically, there's two ways you can interpret his question. When he says, will you still have the baby? He can either be asking her as in like, for me, will you still have it? Like mm-hmm. ask asking her to have it for him. Or he can be asking, are you going to have it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, mm. he, he can ask, you know, like, what's your decision? Or, please, will you do this for uh, me? I'm inclined, yeah. to be- I'm inclined to believe it's more he's asking, like, will she have it at like, all? Like, are you going to? Yeah. 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 And that's what I thought, too. But just as I was listening to it again, I was like, oh, that's kind of a... a you can interpret that either way. Yeah, with this I tone just, of voice, you could yeah. definitely... And the whole texture of the conversation, you, yeah. you could definitely... Because, like, he, he wants... He wants to con- his you know I know he already has Rachel but you know he wants his family to continue on. Oh Jesus! No, I just hate that my brain just went Rachel, <laughs> Rachel. That's fine. I'm just very here for uh, dry gallows humor, Mark Green. Like mm-hmm. I, like this is the. <laughs> I really wish there was more of this, uh, but I, I and don't... Corday just not even trying to dissuade him, just picking it up and running with yeah. it. The poor bastard board, but too many people showed up. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of it's a very like cathartic kind of atmosphere. <sighs> we all need that sometimes. We do, um, but then we find out that Carrie still has hiccups. The bit continues. Everybody's still giving her solutions on how to fix it. Uh, we learn Luca went to Croatia for Christmas, which explains his absence here. And Carrie has called Kim down for another consult. This one on Jeff. And uh, Abby and Carter are chatting about Chen's baby. Carter goes to catch up on some more sleep. When the adoptive father shows up to yell at about Chen wanting to breastfeed, that's a whole thing. We'll get to in just a moment. <laughs> the fr- the the whole reaction of Carter to this father yelling at him in his face is really just the first segment of any given STT recording. Like Lauren is Carter in that situation where he's just going, "What? What are you saying like, to me, bro? I just work here, <laughs> right?" He's like, "What?" Like he's trying to process everything that the dude's saying, and it's just not happening. And he's like, "Sir." It's very early, and it's like, ma'am, it is 7 p.m. Like, <laughs> why are you this tired? Uh, but in any event, uh, we see uh, Jeff talking to uh, Kim and says that uh, his dad will be very angry with him. Uh, he opened his Christmas present early. Uh, turns out it was a BB gun, and he shot it at the dog, which scared it and caused the attack fucking little sociopath uh right like it's like way to way to pull me over to the lore and dark side on this story real fast of just like going from like oh this kid is fine to no fuck this kid fuck this kid like implicitly like he sucks do you do you want me to, do you want me to put him on the shitty kid list for season seven i think he might des- like he's only he's the only one to like so far that we know of to do some like Dahmer shit and you know torture an animal just for his own amusement and then you know so I actually, weirdly enough, I'm giving a um a child the benefit of the doubt here. What the fuck is wrong with me? I must need more sleep. Um, I, I tried to look at it as he opened it and was just messing around with it. And, like, maybe the dog was in the yard or something. And I didn't think, like, he was like, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't words good today, but you know what I mean? I do. It's not like future serial killer. Right. No, yeah. No, more, yeah. I don't, more just, I'm a dumb child. Right. Yeah. Stupid child, but just extremely stupid child. 
All right, and let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, going back to we're going back to Carter and the adoptive parents are talking to the social worker about Chen wanting to breastfeed, and it's it's a whole thing. Why would she need to breastfeed? It's not unusual. Does she still have them? She's changing her mind. I know it. There's no need to panic. Why did we have to force her to meet him? Linda, she's giving up her child. There's a maternal instinct she can't avoid and shouldn't try to. We'll give her some time and have you rock the baby in front of her. Won't that make it worse? No. She needs to know at a very basic level that the baby will be loved. Can you talk with her? Find out what's going on, what she's thinking? Yeah, I can try. I can't lose another baby. Deb. What are you doing? You know, they say breastfeeding is uh, good for them in the first 24 hours. It's mostly colostrum, which boosts their immune system. Deb, are you having second thoughts? I've always had second thoughts. What's changed? I saw his face. I'm being selfish. I have the money to raise him. There's no reason why I can't. There's a couple out there who desperately want to raise a child. And you're giving them a great gift. What happens 18 years from now? He shows up looking for an explanation. Well, you tell him the truth, you know? Tell him that you wanted to provide the best home possible for him. Did I tell him I was a coward? That my bigoted parents were more important to me than he was? Tell him I think that you gotta take your family out of this. And if you wanna keep the baby, keep the baby. But if you don't, or you can't, and you want to make sure that he goes to somebody who's going to love him, who's going to want him. And know that you're not abandoning your baby. You're creating a family. Way to go, Carl. I also love when he's like, can you go talk to her? And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I guess. But he does very plainly say, Deb, are you having second thoughts? Like, what's going on yeah. here? Ugh. Still want to punch the social worker in the face. <laughs> yeah, but Carter is very good with her too, on this. Shout out to the adoption agency, too, for, for doing the fucking legwork, apparently. Not only finding this couple somewhere out in, what was it, Portland was where they were brought yeah, in? Portland, yeah. All the way out in Portland. But they managed to find the exact same parental uh, match, mix. mix, mash of uh, the baby. Like, <laughs> black father, Asian mother. Like, they managed to get the exact, uh, exact uh, makeup. Um, but yeah. Also, shout out the fun fact to make you feel old. The actual child that uh, Ming Na Wen was pregnant with uh, during this time, uh, I remember seeing her posting on Instagram uh, several months ago that that child graduated college uh, recently. So, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm turning to Justin right now. So <laughs> just just blowing away in the wind. Yep. Just got just got Thanos snapped. Just I'm gone. Mm. Uh, uh, they found Cleo's car four blocks away with a burned out transmission and a busted headlight. Cleo tells Benton to get Kanisha so they can talk. Cool. I hate um, it. 
Taylor's mom has come down for her because, you know, Nicole needs her. She's got to start doing the transfusion. And Taylor's, or the mom says to Benton, oh, did she fight you? She's afraid of hospitals. And Benton's like, well, she's a little freaked out. Like, you know, this isn't easy for her. And mom pushes back and goes to get Taylor from X-ray. Great. Is this where is this where the because this is the only scene with the yeah. mom, right? Yeah. Is the, doesn't the mom basically say, "Oh yeah, we had her to." So I Taylor think has a blood I think bank, he I think no. Benton essentially implies that that's how Taylor feels. Like that Taylor yeah. feels yeah. as though she exists solely to subsidize her sister's yeah. existence. And that's when the mom says, "We've we've had to justify this to so many of you. I'm not gonna do it yeah. again." The, I mean, it's. Ugh, yeah, that's just a sad, fucked up situation all the way around and probably could warrant its own episode by itself. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, but we then see Chen and Carter uh, with the baby. Uh, the adoptive parents come in uh, and this is where we see Chen kind of making her peace with the whole thing. Chen asks what the baby's name is going to be, to which the parents reply, Michael Alexander. Good name. And, yeah, it's a good name. Solid name. And so she passes him over to the adoptive mother to be held, and mom sings him this beautiful lullaby, and you get to have this really nice moment where Chen is watching uh, the baby being cradled and soothed, and, you know, we see her crying, and we also see her, like, reaching back and holding Carter's hand for comfort. Like, it's just a really nice moment. Uh, Very bittersweet, obviously, but still a very nice moment. Yeah, I really really like this whole storyline. I do, too. I just, like I said, I and I would imagine, too, that... Uh, probably there was a logistical component of why we didn't get more stuff with Chen and Carter because I imagine it was probably not real fun for Ming-Na Wen to be on her feet <laughs> at this time being that she was yeah. actually pregnant that's probably now that I'm thinking about it that's probably plays a big part of why we don't see more of the follow-up because wasn't she out last week wasn't that so. wasn't that the the thing I would not be at all surprised if you go back and like because we figured out based on one of the recent episodes that they film most of these episodes three to four weeks in advance I would not be surprised if you went back about three to four weeks prior to this episode that you would find that Ming-Na Wen gave birth and that this was her coming back to work kind of thing like mm. that 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 makes sense to me in my head but Speaking of heads, uh, let's more. Let's go back to New York. Mark and Corday are in the lobby, and they're going to talk to one Doctor Burke. What do you say? I may go to trial. But you're going to be able to settle. Yeah, so did I. Rachel called. She wants to come out a day early for Christmas. Mark Green. Doctor Burke. Nice to meet you. You too. And oh, you are. Doctor Elizabeth Corday, Doctor Green's fiance. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Sorry to keep you waiting. I met some resistance in tumor board. Is that good or bad? The oncologists and radiation therapists are having trouble embracing the future. Meaning? Come over here. They see a lesion like yours, they jump to the conclusion it's inoperable. But it's not. Not in my hands. There's your tumor. Now, as you were doing verbal tasks, There was increased blood flow to language centers. Those light up in orange. As you can see, while the tumor's adjacent to Broca's, it hasn't invaded yet. That's not what the neurosurgeon in Chicago said. That's why you're here. So you'll operate? Hmm. Yeah. We'll do an awake craniotomy. You'll be conscious and talking while I map out Broca's and resect the tumor. But 
the real bonus is my ability to insert high dosage chemotherapy wafers into the tumor cavity and use the malignant cells themselves to create a cancer vaccine. Thank God for second opinions. Yeah, the idiots in the tumor board are satisfied with 12 months survival. Where most of the patients on my protocol are disease free for 24 months and counting. So, um, when can you fit him into the schedule? How about December 31st? You can ring in the new year with a load off your mind. Brain surgeon humor. Right. You okay? Yeah. It's good news. It's very good news. place mark two pairs of words that belong nowhere near each other uh awake and craniotomy <laughs> uh and chemotherapy and wafers like those those two pairs of words i want nowhere near each other they both sound awful like i thought triscuits were bad but chemotherapy wafer just takes the cake that's the that's forbidden snack terrible oh boy I like on the complete opposite of a social worker for whatever reason I just love this guy's voice yeah very exactly like talk about nailing the casting like exactly the kind of like uh, voice and cadence that you would want uh, for a guy like this just confident enough but like not like too confident to think he's a pompous jackass Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's perfect I really I really enjoy it and I really enjoy him well they really enjoy him in this episode and next episode. Not so much in the, his third appearance. Well, you know. Uh, we'll get, yes. We'll get to that. That's for other reasons, though. Not not a fault of, was it Chris? Well, who who yeah. plays this guy? Uh, as Lizzie alluded to, Dr. Burke here, played by actor Chris Sarandon, making his first of three appearances. Uh, but he also appeared in stuff like uh, Felicity, Judging Amy, and was the voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, uh which fucked me up because I remembered that and then I was listening to the clip just now and I was just picturing Jack Skellington <laughs> saying it. it was like... uh, there's a fun alternate oh. reality. Uh, I also... So I imagine he's just going to go around the operating room going, this is surgery. This is surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Better than what's this. Um, I also have a little bit of ER guest star trivia because okay. he is married to Joanna Gleason who played oh, Iris, Iris for three episodes early on. Back in season three, I believe. Early yeah. enough that I don't fucking know. But um She was the photographer. Yeah. We we yep. we gushed all over her at the time. Yep. So yeah. And he was also I just have to say this because if I don't I know three people who will yell at me probably. Uh he was also in Princess Bride. There you he go. He was Prince Humperdinck. There you go. That's who he is. There you okay, go. I was like, I know you made me watch a movie where he was in it. Recently. I made you watch Princess Bride. You absolute plebeian. You have no taste. I didn't like it. There you go. There's your. There's a reason to cancel Lizzie, Lizzie on this pot from this. Oh, just Lizzie, ruined my life because I don't like the Princess Bride. Lizzie and being dragged, kicking and screaming through cinematic masterpieces. Name a more iconic duo. Okay, to be fair, I didn't like Stand By Me on rewatch, so she gets that one. Yeah, Stand By Me is not a good movie. I, I am imply uh, that you were influenced by your uh, audience, but that's... But so, Princess Bride is an absolute masterpiece, and you're wrong on that one, and I love you anyway. Hey, you're allowed to like things, and I'm allowed to like things, too. I just don't like The Princess Bride. 
So sorry to derail us from the actual emotional uh, weight of that moment, but... Uh, this is what people are here for. They're here for my shitty takes and for audio clips. Yep. Uh, and me usurping, oh, hey, it's that guy information. But, yeah, I just, I do love the, uh, oh, sorry, you know, brain surgeon humor. <laughs> take take a load off your mind. <laughs> I make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> And how about that computer, too? Right? The, the computer just, that rises mm. from the very 80s corkboard countertop. As he's walking over to it. He doesn't even press anything. He's just yeah, right? walking over to it, and it's already coming up. Like a wrestler making their entrance. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little, the there's a little tiny edge on the uh, monitor there. Uh, but yay. Good, good prognosis. Yeah, it'd be even In better if I hadn't watched the show before. Yep. Hope for Mark. Cool. Yay. Sh- shall we? Move on. Uh, Carter is being paged again while he's in the on-call room, and then Randy comes in yelling at him to wake him up because there was a 40 year- 40-ish year old motorcyclist who was in an accident against a minivan, Whew. no helmet, driving in the middle of winter, but we find out it was a van van, not a minivan, and a dozen kids got hurt on the way to a Christmas pageant. So, cool. It's a holiday episode. Let's do this. Um, then we have Cleo and Benton walk to the house. They see Kanisha crying on the front steps in the snow, and she said, Tiny stole the car, but she was afraid to say anything. And I want to point out, I love, I don't remember if it's here or if it's earlier, but where Cleo was like, yeah, I didn't think a robber didn't know how to drive stick shift and took my car. <laughs> like, like, no, we knew. Um, but yeah, so she's like, don't, don't kick me out. This is my only chance. And yet, oh, it continues. <laughs> the less, yeah. the less said, the better right now. Yeah. What's next? Well, Carter's working on some, some of the kiddos from the crash. The young girl named Elise, she has a neck injury. But the most important part here mm-hmm. is that they're wheeling her around and do we, uh, that biker it's, that was brought in... Is still in trauma too. Still in trauma too, but gets wheeled out. He gets wheeled out. Mm-hmm. They, there's a bunch of his pills on the countertop. And as Carter goes in just to grab some supplies or whatever he needs from, from the room, he just sees the Vicodin. And just snatches it and takes a couple. Without a thought. Right. My man does not hesitate. Like, those things are down his gullet so fast. Yeah. And takes some, then walks back into, like, the flood of the whole scene of the whatever you want to call it, uh, of the ER. And he's clearly not listening to anything now that's being said to him. And just just kind of walks away from person he's talking to and goes to the bathroom and makes himself throw them back up and excellent little uh cinematography beat where they, mm, they I hate it they put the camera in the toilet and mm-hmm. you, i hate it you Thank also you. but you also get just the this the tiniest little bit of the shadow of the pill uh mm-hmm. going over the camera to I, like i thought it was really cool i, I did uh, not think it was cool that carter reached his hands into the toilet to retrieve the pills like why not uh, just train spotting them? anyone oh yeah that's exactly what i thought of train spotting mm-hmm. Uh, thank Another goodness. I've never seen. You, you no, are not I'm, allowed to watch. <laughs> no, nope, I'm gonna tell you right now. Oh, too much. There's, what? there's too much too everything. Much, uh, this is like the third or everything. fourth time it's, I think Train Spotting has come up this. on an episode. Um, there's a lot of cringe stuff. There's a lot of body okay. functions. Um, just you and McGregor go swimming well, in a giant toilet. 
Thanks. Yep. <laughs> All right. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Uh, but yeah, I just, I like the cinematography of it. I, like I said, I would have personally just flushed the toilet. I wouldn't have reached yeah. in to retrieve the pills myself, oh, but well, I think it's probably to provide evidence that he didn't actually keep them. Well, keep, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that here. I was going <laughs> to say, say, yep. So, uh, we then go immediately to Abby working on a little boy when Carter comes in and grabs her and pulls her away, uh, pulls her into the drug lockup where he, uh, fesses up about what he just did and she... So she's kind of helping him like talk through it like so that he can come to the conclusion on his own and he, like she's like I think you need to tell Weaver and uh, he uh, instead will then have to she's like well if you're not going to tell Weaver then we you need to get off right now and we need to go to a meeting uh, he also takes the opportunity to uh, take the pills that if you're keeping score at home came from his stomach into a toilet were then retrieved from the toilet and then just raw dogged into her hands like <laughs> just ah. dropped into her hand i'm like dude what are you doing like you couldn't have just showed them to her why did you mm-hmm. i i had that exact thought it's just not not my favorite move that carter has ever done uh but yeah so eh. I guess all's for, forgiven and forgotten uh, for now. I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll see where we'll see how this goes. All right, uh, let's go to our next audio clip here. Mark and Corday are eating. The, they're gonna get themselves a New York slice and walk through Rockefeller Center. So you'll tell Rachel and Jen now. Yeah, I'll fly out there Friday. Like it? What? Pizza. Mmm. It tastes just like it did when I was eight years old. It's weird how that works. I wouldn't have been able to remember it if I hadn't tasted it again. It's good, though. You lived in New York? A couple of months. Dad taught me how to skate backwards on this ring. You never told me that. Well, you never came to see me play hockey. No, that you lived here, I mean. Well... I can't tell you everything. I have to keep you interested. <laughs> you didn't sign up for this, though. It's called marriage, Mark. Not married yet. You really believe that? Didn't think so. Hey, check it out. There's a kid in another one of those hats. They must be on sale someplace. Guess it blows your theory. Yeah. It was a good day. I guess it's always a good day when you find out someone can slice into your brain and deposit radioactive <laughs> wafers into a hole that they're going to create. Eh. Oh, well. You're welcome. You're welcome, America. I mean, context, yes, it actually is probably a really good day. I mean, yeah, but... But yes. <laughs> I was going to say... When you really think about it. I was going to say, boy, I want pizza, and also I'm so excited for Christmas music. That's where I went. Um, Uh, Inside you, there are two wolves. (laughs) One one talks about radioactive wafers, the other wants pizza. If that's not a perfect illustration of our whole dynamic and relationship in this house, I don't know what is. And yet, and yet... Which one of those two is the one that's not allowed to watch the Ewan McGregor goes swimming in a toilet movie? Like, is it the one who just wants pizza <laughs> or the one who wants to talk about radioactive brain holes? I don't yeah, know. I surprise you. Radioactive brain holes. That was my nickname in high school. <laughs> add it to the compilation. Um, yeah, I got nothing more to add on that. 
Yeah, just very cute, yeah. very nice. I'm ex- I'm I'm excited for Christmas music. It's it's August and I'm, I I'm ready. Hate it already. Yeah. And I'm not gonna listen to it around you because I know you don't like it. Uh, shall we continue? Yeah. Uh, Malucci uh, Carrie asks him if he can cover for Carter because Carter heads out sick uh, to go to a meeting. Um, and Malucci's like, "What the hell? He's been here all day, you know, with Chen." And she's like, "All the more reason for you to lend a hand." Hang out. Do some work. Let's got to record the voiceover for the previously on for this episode. All right. And we... This is this is the new penis bowl. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're you're fooling yourself if you think that I'm not putting this clip in the in the group so I can crowdsource answers like it's it is not. Mo- I mean, like I said, I will I will grant you that out of the main cast, the male main cast members that we have right now, he is the suspect that makes the most sense. But. Uh, my ears and the man himself both tell me that it is not him. Telling you there's a very distinctive militia mannerism to it. Anyway, let's uh, go to our last audio clip here, second last scene of the episode. Uh, a little bit of gay panic when Kim shows up in the lounge and while Carrie's chugging water to try to uh, fix her hiccups. I saw the patient in seven. She agreed to a voluntary admission. Thank you. <coughs> mm, hiccups. Does it work? I don't know. I'm desperate now. I'm listening to Randy. Did you like it? Yes. First edition. Must have been expensive. Well, what's the point of working like a maniac if you can't spend a little money on your friends? Friends? (laughs) I don't think we're in the same place on this. Uh, On what? Christmas? No. Us. I don't need any more friends. Oh. Okay. Okay. I understand. Do you? No. No, I like you and I respect you and I thought that we were really hitting it off. Well, that's the problem. You're straight and I'm not. And I've done this before and it didn't work out and I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, but I'm not asking for that from you. I mean, we're comfortable together. We have a lot in common. We have fun together. Why I can't be your friend, Carrie? Uh, I'm sorry, Christmas. On <laughs> what? On Christmas? Yeah, I was gonna clip that little, t- clip you, that out right there, and just boop, right on YouTube. You poor tiny I, closeted gay. I am Carrie, even without the the queer awakening. Just <laughs> yeah. what Christmas? Like, okay, yeah, closeted is the wrong word. Yeah. but you tiny, completely unaware that you are gay, gay. gay. Yes. Precious it, baby. It's she's too precious. Also, it's it's such a good kiss. I'm just gonna say that too. It's mm-hmm. a very yeah. nice kiss. Mm-hmm. Audio's not too. No, it's not, not too bad either. It's not too. Slurpy. I was gonna say, <laughs> but the beginning of it a little bit with the gulping of the match water. That's uh, not my favorite. Yeah. Also, I want to point out they are color coded. They're like they're matching. They're both wearing like gray. Because they're meant to be together. Yep. Not really, but yeah. anyway. Let me have this. Well, we close out the episode with uh, back up in Chen's room where she gets a call. uh, And uh, it's implied that it's her mom. And she uh, basically tells the nurse to cover for her and is like, I'm asleep, can't come to the phone, whatever. And asks to have her put a do not disturb on the phone so that she can deal with her mom after she's recovered as the episode fades to black. And uh, it's another really solid entry. Like I think I'm, I, yeah. I think I'm at a solid like eight and a half out of ten on this one. I'm, a, I'm at a solid nine. There's excellent performances all around from 
from goddamn Ming-Na Wen, mm-hmm. from goddamn Anthony Edwards to goddamn Alex Kingston, everyone is on their A game yeah. in this episode. Once again, the the only thing that really like drags the episode down in in my opinion is the Kanisha stuff. Like and mm-hmm. yeah. if you'd have let Benton just spend the whole episode with Taylor, I think it would do his character more service and would would do service to the episode as a whole. So that's my really only nitpick. Like you said, everybody else is, seems like is firing on all cylinders at this point. Like there's really not a weak link in the chain. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a solid 8.5. Yeah. What do the listeners have to say about it, Lauren? Oh, let's see if I can actually read tonight. Uh, Daniel, I'll tap in as needed. You can needed. do it. I am so sorry. At Clagry29, I have no idea. Um, so much in one episode. So well res- I'm, I based so okay uh, clarification here or disclaimer uh, I editorialized this person's comments a little bit and I get the impression from reading the comments and, and editorializing side that English may not be this person's first okay. language that's and that's fine I just if, if that's not the case I apologize to this person but I just sort of got the impression that there might be a little bit of a language barrier there yep and if that's not the case we apologize I just can't read um, so much in one episode, so well resumed in its title. As a Carter fan, it was very pleasant to see him confident again while covering for Mark and being the sweetest friend to Jing Mei. And the Vicodin incident is so well written and executed. Little additional note, it's so gross of Carter to drop in Abby's hand pills that were first in the stomach, in his stomach and then in the toilet bowl. Boy howdy, don't we agree on you there. Um... At Basic Mall says, I want to specifically talk about one scene. When the doctor talks to Mark and Elizabeth about the tests, well, first off, as they walk to the desk, you can see the computer just rise up out of the fucking desk, which never fails to make me laugh, and I forget exactly when, but you can just see Elizabeth grab Mark's hand, and it's just such a minuscule detail, but one that makes the scene so much better. I just love these two in this episode. Their love for each other really shines, and it's part of why I love them, because you can just see they love each other. Grace B says, I love this episode so much, all of it, but I can hardly stand to watch it, mostly because Ming-Na Wen is uniquely emotionally devastating, and this is coming from someone who never cries at anything and whose favorite fan fiction genre is angst. Somehow, I always think that Baby Michael, Kanisha crashing the car, Mark and Lizzie in New York, Carter's Relapse, and Kim's That's Why I Can't Be Your Friend, Carrie, are episodes unto themselves. That is to say, I don't envy y'all this week. Franner W. says, When Mark is in the scanner and Elizabeth can hear the surgeons talking about him in the detached, dehumanized way that they do, I used to be disappointed that she did not have a very British rant about their manners or at least make her presence known in the room to make them feel awkward. But looking back, I wonder if it's because she gets the way they are speaking as she has has had these discussions herself with her colleagues when discussing patients and their course of action. She knows that is just the way surgeons speak. Who knows? But it was a different way of seeing it for me this time around. And at the full-time dad says... I love how the episode sets up Carter's sudden relapse. He's seemingly back to being old Carter, compassionate, hardworking, and dependable, and just like that, we're suddenly reminded of how fragile recovery can be. But before that moment, this was some of Carter's best work over the past few seasons. We never talk about Chris Sarandon's arc as Dr. Burke as one of the better guest star runs on the show, but it is. He's so believable in this role, and his quiet confidence enshrouded in that deadpan delivery is so good. And what's more, it provides Mark with the greatest of gifts. Hope. We get our first... 
we get our first Weaver Espy. Weaver Espy? Weaver Espy kiss. And I'm reminded of your interview with Laura Inez. She definitely punched up in the weight class. <laughs> and I was so happy to see Chen get her star turn on the show. And she delivers big time. That internal conflict over whether to give up, give her baby up seemed so genuine and raw. All my girlfriends were so hot. <laughs> All my girlfriends. Yes, just yes, just that whole interview. If you haven't listened to it yet, everybody go listen to it. Oh my god. Mm. All right. Well, that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today, though. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. Two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. And over 50 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes. A free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge. Movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. And Who's Fix of Those, where Lauren reads some ER fan fiction. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And besides bet, after we're done recording here, Lauren, where can folks find you at? Um, so many slow life management sim games on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. There's so many things coming out. Two Point Campus is out, and I can't stop. And Cult of the Lamb comes out this week. And Baron Breakfast. Guys, guys, I'm in my happy place, which is also bed. Good night. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's J-M-3-R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Bye.